0: Do you agree or disagree with these statements? I'm not looking for a response just for you to think about them. If I take my children to church and ministries geared to them, they will grow up to love God. There is a revival coming in America. Bigness, size, in terms of numbers or income or whatever you want to say, is a sign that God is blessing. Sickness shows that God shows God's discipline. I'm not saying I agree or disagree. Just think about them. Financial hardship shows sin in one's life. Find the correct program, the correct tool, the correct book, the correct DVD, and you will grow spiritually. As we think about life, we need to think biblically. And as we go through the book of Habakkuk, we find that <clears throat> Habakkuk and Judah apparently were not thinking correctly, and God challenges them concerning their thinking we want to read Habakkuk 1, 1 through 11 together. Habakkuk 1, 1 through 11. <clears throat> you wonder where it is? It's in the Old Testament. You have Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Then you have Nahum, then you have Habakkuk. Then you have Zephaniah, Haggai, one of the minor prophets. Haggai chapter 1, the oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, received. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked have in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. Look at the nations and watch, and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you will not believe, even if you were told. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people, who swept across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture swooping to devour, and they are bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. In verses 2 through four we find Habakkuk is lamenting to God. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Who we'll cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Habakkuk is talking about what is happening in the nation of Judah. Now Judah basically is not responding to God and he is lamenting to God. And we find in verses five through eleven that God responds to Habakkuk. He's answering questions. He's answering Habakkuk's questions. He's answering Habakkuk's conclusion when he says, the wicked hem in the righteous, in verse 4, so that justice is perverted. Habakkuk talked about violence in verses 2 and 3, the God's law in verses 3 and 4, and he mentions, you know, look at and tolerate God responds to those items in verse 9. They all come bent on violence. In verse 7, he talks about the Babylonians being a law to themselves. In verse 5, he says, look at the nations. So using some of the same terms that Habakkuk used. Now, who's involved in the passage we're looking at in verses 5 through 10? Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a speaker in verses 2 through 4. Now he's the listener, listening to what God says. We find the Lord is involved. The Lord is the independent self-existing one, needing no one and no thing to continue his existence. We find the Babylonians are also mentioned. And As you read Scripture, you will find that the Bible has quite a bit, of say, quite a bit to say about the Babylonians was an evil nation used by the lord to accomplish his will if you look in second kings 2425 isaiah jeremiah daniel they all speak about the babylonians and the belief in that time was that the god of the conquering nation was superior So the Babylonians are going to come and they're going to conquer Judah. So that means the Babylonian gods are greater than the Lord. Before the Babylonians come, even before Habakkuk here, we find that the Assyrians had taken the northern kingdom of Israel. Again, indicating that the Lord is not the great God, but the Lord is going to say something else. Babylon was an evil, wicked, ungodly nation, as stated in verses 5 through 11. But keep in mind that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, was a servant of the Lord. Let's turn to Jeremiah 27. A little bit earlier in the Bible, Jeremiah chapter 27. Again, to keep in mind that as we reflect on history, God is sovereign. Jeremiah chapter 27 and verse 1. Early in the reign of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. This is what the Lord said to me. Make a yoke out of straps and crossbars and put it on your neck. Then send word to the kings of Edom, Moab, Ammon, Tyre, and Sidon. Through the envoys who have come to Jerusalem... To Zedekiah, king of Judah, give them a message for their masters and say, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Tell this to your masters. With my great power and outstretched arm, I made the earth and its peoples and the animals and all that are on it. And I give it to anyone I please. Now I will hand all your countries over to my servant, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and will make him, make even the wild animals subject to him. All nations will serve him and his son and his grandson until the time for his land comes. Then many nations and great kings will subjugate him. Now notice he clearly states that Nebuchadnezzar in verse 6 Is my servant? The Lord is saying, "Nebuchadnezzar is my servant." Now, Nebuchadnezzar, we know, was an evil king at that point in time, followed false gods. But yet, the Lord is sending this message to the kings of Edom, Moab, Ammon, Tyre, and Sidon, that they're going to be subject to Nebuchadnezzar. Please understand that even pagan nations are under the Lord's authority and are used by him to accomplish his will and purpose. And just a side light, and I'm not going to go into any detail. We think about the world today. Do we stop to consider that nations that we may consider as very evil and very ungodly are under the authority of God's control? And he uses them as he did with the Babylonians. So a couple observations back to Habakkuk concerning the text. And think about a child coming to a parent and a child says to mom or to dad, but probably more mom than dad, will you get me supper? And they're expecting supper very soon. But what if mom waits five years So a player says to a coach, when do I get in the game? He's expecting to get in the game that they're playing. Habakkuk is asking God for some answers. And what does he say? Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. I'm not going to give you, I'm giving you a response But it's not going to be fulfilled immediately. You're going to have to wait. Because that's brought out again in chapter 2. But the Lord is responding. But looking, watching, and seeing the big scene is going to be required. Look at the nations and watch. And keep in mind, too, that the Lord is not in an instant timetable as we are in the 21st century. We want action. And we want answers. When? Now. The Lord calls Habakkuk to stop, to look, to watch. Let's go to another parallel passage in Psalm 46. Psalm 46. Many times we read the early part of Psalm 46 but not the balance of the psalm. <clears throat> psalm 46. <clears throat> God is a refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth away, and <clears throat> the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar in foam and the mountains quake with their surging. And many times we go to Psalm 46 and we stop there. But let's read on in verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shadows the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Be still and know that I am God is in the context of looking at the nations. What's happening with the nations? What God is doing with setting up and taking down kingdoms? Be still and know that I am God. I think a very fitting parallel passage to Habakkuk. When the Lord says to Habakkuk, look at the nations and watch. See, the Lord is not on an instant timetable as we tend to be lord why don't you do something look at the nations and in chapter 3 habakkuk says you know i just sit back and wait another observation the lord is sovereign over all nations using them to accomplish his will and purpose Back in the back, and look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told, I'm raising up the Babylonians. See, Babylon at that time was an evil, ungodly, selfish nation with a pantheon of gods. But is being used by the Lord to discipline his chosen people, whom he desired to be his treasured possession, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So here's a nation of Judah at this point in time. God wanted them to be a chosen nation, a holy people, a holy priesthood. And he's going to bring a more ungodly nation, Babylon, to discipline his chosen people. It's hard for Habakkuk to get through his mind. So what is the call to action on the part of the Lord? For Habakkuk, and since it was given to the nation of Judah, it would also include Judah. Look at the nations and watch. Habakkuk, look at the nations and watch. Judah, look at the nations and watch. It implies that Judah and Habakkuk had to stop and in essence step back and observe that the Lord is acting, but he's not acting lickety-split as we want him to respond. And he says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. Utterly amazed is man's response to an event that confounds all previous expectations. they running counter to the listener's beliefs. See, Judah had the belief that God could not, he would not allow Jerusalem to be destroyed, nor would he allow his temple to be destroyed. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. Now, to illustrate what it means to be utterly amazed, reflect back with me to the time of Jacob. Jacob's son, Joseph, was sold into slavery in Egypt. And we know that he spent some time in Potiphar's house. He was lied. Potiphar's wife lied about him. And he ended up in prison for a number of years. And then he got out of prison. He became second in command in Egypt. There was a famine in the promised land, so Jacob sent his sons, ten of his sons, down for some food. They returned a second time with Benjamin, eleven of Joseph's brothers. And Joseph said to his butler, I want you to prepare a feast. And he seated his brothers according to their age the oldest, then the next, and the next, and the next, down to the youngest. And Genesis says that his brothers were amazed. How does this guy that doesn't even know us seed us according to our age? Wow. Who is this guy? And the Lord is saying to Habakkuk, to Judah, be utterly Amazed. I'm going to do something that you will not believe. What's he going to do? Jerusalem was such an event, creating a national crisis and a theological crisis among God's people. How could the Lord allow Jerusalem to be destroyed? How could the Lord allow Jerusalem... The chosen city, the temple, where his presence was to be destroyed i 'm going to do something in today that you would not believe, even if you were told. God doesn 't always respond the way we might think. He clearly states so that. The reason they were to listen or look was that I'm going to do something you don't believe, even if you're told. They couldn't wrap their minds around what God is going to do. And just to blow us away for a minute, what would be your response if someone came on the scene and said, the city of Washington, D.C. is going to be totally annihilated, and New York City is going to be totally destroyed. So it can't happen. We're too powerful for that. What if someone else came on the scene and said, I want you to understand that the electrical grid in the U.S. is going to be so dealt with that the United States of America will have no electricity For months on end. So it can't happen. God, the Lord is saying to Habakkuk, to Judah, I'm telling you, there's a nation more evil than you. The Babylonians are coming. Jerusalem will be destroyed. The temple will be destroyed. Oh, it can't happen. Never would happen. This is a major crisis in thinking. What does the Lord go on to say? I'm raising up the Babylonians. I'm raising up the Babylonians. The Lord is making history. And he is fulfilling it. Clearly states, I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who swept across the whole earth. The sea's dwelling places not their own. Who's doing the work of raising up the Babylonians? The Lord. The Lord write his, writes history and fulfills it. We won't turn there this morning, but in Deuteronomy, chapter 28, 49 through 52, we find that the Lord there, under the blessings and the curses, if Israel obeys or disobeys, that were given before they entered into the promised land, he brings up the nation of Babylon. And says, here's what's going to happen to you, Israel, if you don't obey. He spoke history. Now it is being fulfilled. Isaiah, long before Habakkuk's time, and Jeremiah, who was a contemporary with Habakkuk, wrote. We know that Isaiah would have been writing before about Babylonian, before this became a reality. Jeremiah would have been a contemporary writing similar things about Babylon. And in Daniel chapter 4, we find that Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges that God is king, he is ruler, he sets up who he wants, and he takes down who he desires. See, the theology of that day, the Lord will not allow Jerusalem and his temple to be destroyed. The Lord will not allow a more evil nation than Judah to judge us. And that thinking is brought out in Jeremiah and Lamentations. Thinking biblically is so important. And the Lord is saying, Habakkuk, you have these concerns. I'm responding to you, and I'm going to do something that is utterly amazing. And just a couple thoughts in light of that from Habakkuk before we go on. History, regardless of how it seems to us, is under God's control. History is under God's control. Since it is true, we as Christians in America need to be alarmed, should not be alarmed, need not be alarmed. There's a not missing there. But what we see taking place in our nation, our seeking to change government appears to the unbelieving world sometimes that we have no confidence in the Lord. I'm not saying we shouldn't do anything to change. But where does our confidence rest? The Lord is saying to Habakkuk, I'm writing history and fulfilling history. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes, and I quote, Every nation on earth is under the hand of God, for there is no power in this world that is not ultimately controlled by him. Things are not what they appear to be, it seemed to be an astute military power of the Chaldeans that had brought them into their power. But it was not so, for God raised them up. God is the Lord of history. He is seated in the heavens, and the nations to him are as grasshoppers, as a drop in the bucket, or the dust of the balance. The Bible asserts that God is overall. He started the historical process. He is controlling it and he is going to end it. We must never lose sight of this critical fact. End of quote. Keep in mind, too, as we'll say more in Habakkuk in the future, history follows a divine plan. The events of history are not accidental, though they may appear so to us. They follow God's plan. History follows a divine timetable, We don't always know that. But chapter 1 of Habakkuk and chapter 2 and verse 3 seems to bring that out quite clearly. History is bound, bound up with the divine kingdom. History is bound up with the divine kingdom. The Lord is sovereign over nations, using them to accomplish his purpose in his time he has and may today use a more evil nation to deal with a less evil, less evil nation let's not put the Lord in a box and decide how he must work think biblically so i bring you back to what I brought up earlier if I take my children church and ministries geared to them they grow up to love god biblical or unbiblical statement i'm not answering that but think about it there's a revival coming in america is that accurate or not what does scripture say what has god communicated bigness size numbers is a sign of god's blessing is that biblical statement or not no is god trying to rattle our cage with some of our views today Sickness from God shows, or sickness shows God's discipline. So we go through sickness. God is discipline. I've heard that repeatedly. Oh, they must have done something wrong. That's why they're sick. Is that biblical? Financial hardship shows sin in one's life. So that means if there's no financial hardship, God must be blessing. No, what's God say? Find the correct program, the tool, the DVD, and you will grow spiritually. Again, what does God say? Don't be afraid to have your cage rattled sometimes. And by that I mean that sometimes we have to say what I think is not on target. And I'll give it a little more response sometime in the near future to those statements. But in the meantime, think about them. As we think about God and his sovereignty, God at work, we need to be committed to prayer. So I will begin praying for a number of items, followed by Travis praying for families. Let's pray together.